Hello, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today we're joined by Carly Bassian, noted sex ed consultant who works in the Ontario school system. Hi, everyone. Today in Sex News, we're talking about an article from The Conversation from March 4th, 2020. And The Conversation is a place where they they look at studies and they report on studies and they basically will summarize a study for a layman to be able to read, which is a really great resource for people who like to read studies for fun, which I occasionally do, and I'm sure you are... Similar, Carly, maybe. maybe I'm a huge data nerd. Love me some good data. Yeah, love those statistics. So the title is The Law on Underage Sexting Needs to Change and Here's How. Study. In England and Wales, production, sharing, and possession of any indecent imagery of children aged under 18 is a crime. So the problem here is a teenager taking a photo or video of themselves in England and Wales will be charged with producing indecent imagery of a child, and they are prosecuted at the same level as an adult who commits sexual abuse against a child. So, you know, a teenager is taking a photo of themselves to send to another teenager. They're charged with child pornography creation, and they get called a sex offender for the rest of their lives. So the study proposes, I, by the way, everyone should go read this article because I am really summarizing, like heavy summarizing. But the study proposes splitting the law into two different offenses, imagery produced by adults and imagery produced by children. So that way you can continue to discourage the production of sexual imagery of children, but have a more measured response to each crime that fits the crime that also is not necessarily the same level of punishment or retribution or whatever they're going to choose to do there. One thing I want to clarify They say children repeatedly, but they are referring to teenagers. So they're not talking about eight-year-olds who are taking photos of themselves. They're talking about 14 to 18, roughly, from what I gathered from this article. So I think today, right, let's kind of change it up a little bit. I know my expertise is much more in the K-12 system, education, pedagogy, all of that. I'm not as well-versed in the legal aspect, full disclosure, but I know that you've done a lot of research in this and it's something that you're really interested in. So do you mind if I sort of lead the questions today and I'll interject where I feel like I can add some value, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic about legal age of consent. Yeah, sure. What should I start with? Thank you for sharing that article. Very interesting. I will definitely be reading it. Since it doesn't take place in Canada. I'm just curious to know how it differs in Canada. So what is the legal age of consent here in Canada? Okay, so the legal age of sexual consent in Canada is 16. What this means that if you are 16 years of age or older, you can have sex with someone who is not in a position of authority over you who is a legal adult. So the idea is that at the age of 16 in Canada, you can legally consent to having sex. By a position of authority, they mean a teacher, a boss, a coach, anyone who your grade could be dependent on if you have sex with them or not, your job could be dependent. It should be, as we talked about earlier with the fries analogy, your consent needs to be freely given. You can freely give your consent to someone who's not in a position of authority over you. I want to amend that that's actually true for adults as well, for the most part. And it's why people discourage workplace relationships, because consent can get a little bit complicated when you have that. But In this case, it clearly states that you can have sex with someone who is not in a position of authority over you. There's more, though. If you are 13 to 14, there is what's called a five-year age limit. So sexual activity between a 13-year-old and 17-year-old are okay, but not a 13-year-old and an 18 or 19-year-old. A 14-year-old theoretically could have sex with an 18-year-old as well. I mean, I don't want to say 100% legal because obviously there's a bit of room within that. But the idea there is that even then, if you are younger than 16 you are still not going to get 
in legal trouble for having sex with another teenager. And by legal adults, we also mean like you're 18. You no longer need your parents to sign your consent forms, but just because you're a legal adult doesn't necessarily mean that you're a mental adult. Okay, interesting. So that's that's interesting to know. So in Canada, how do they treat young people who are creating sexual images of themselves with access to technology, smartphones, you're constantly on TikTok and Instagram, Snapchat, there's this temptation of wanting to share pictures of you. And I, I have younger cousins who are teenagers. And sometimes I open their Instagram and go, oh, gosh, what are they doing? So what happens if a 14 year old or a 16 year old post some sexually explicit content online, what happens? I know that we like to give people really helpful resources. So here's a great one from Canada, and it's the Kids Help Phone. And all of this information you can find on their website. But long story short, you cannot send a sexually explicit photo or video without a person's consent, right? You have to have permission to share it at any age. At any age. That is not just for a teenager. Yeah. Yep. That is number one. In 2001, Supreme Court of Canada decided young people have the right to express themselves sexually by creating and sharing sexual images if the image is sent voluntarily between consenting individuals who are close in age, like that five-year gap, right? The image does not depict abuse or assault, and the image stays private. You cannot post or share it. If you post or share it, that's a different legal category. It's basically trying to protect people from sharing the sexual imagery, but it's also acknowledging that young people do take these images and they shouldn't be prosecuted as criminals for creating images of themselves. And I think that this is where the conversation gets a bit more complicated because why are young people creating images of themselves is a very complicated subject. And they have no control who who has possession of that once it's out there. And, you know, it's 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 a very interesting thing to think about ethically, where we are trying to find this balance where we want to empower kids to express themselves in a way that feels genuine and free. But at the same time, from a developmental standpoint, right? The prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for executive decision-making is not fully developed until like late teens, early twenties. And sometimes you're in the moment and you want to, you know, send your new boyfriend a nude photo of yourself. Or sometimes they're asking for it and you feel pressured. Or sometimes they're asking for it, exactly. And then you make the decision of, okay, I'm gonna do it. But do they really have the ability to make those decisions in a healthy way? And are they really considering the long-term consequences? And that's not to say that a 14-year-old can't make a, a decision for themselves that feels good for them, but how do we make sure as, as responsible adults that we're helping them understand in a non-judgmental way that if you do this and you share this photo with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a friend, what are the potential impacts of that? Don't share it if you don't want people to see it. Yes. And you you know what? I have been there. I will admit that where I was a teenager once before in relationships and I have sent photos that I regret sending. And guess what? They creep up months, years later, and it comes back to haunt you. So you have to have those experiences to really appreciate how dangerous that can be as a young person. It's out of your control. Once you press send, it is out there and it will forever be out there. Yeah. I take a little bit of a different perspective on that because to be quite honest, I do have images of my naked body on the internet and I don't care. But you're an adult. You're right, you're right. Almost, but you but know, the truth 30 is years that old, you can... the way that I feel taking the photos now is the exact same as I felt taking them as a teenager, right? Like that's part of it. And there's sort of this assumption, once again, that teenagers shouldn't be sexual. And they're not taking these photos to show adults. They're not taking them, they're taking them to show other young people because it is a way that they're expressing themselves. Now, once again, all of that just to add to what you said, Carly, this photo, if you do not want your parents finding it, do not take it. 
because if anyone shares it and it gets around school and then your parents find out, it's going to be an awkward conversation. So think about things like that. I tell my students, you know, when it comes to posting anything online, whether it's a post on Facebook, which I don't think any teenager uses anymore, but I'm still old school. I'm on Facebook. So Facebook or before you post a photo on Instagram, TikTok, what have you, if you do not want your parents to see that, do not post it. That is my rule of thumb as a teenager. And maybe I was not a, a normal teenager, but I also lived by that rule. If I do not want my parents to see this, I will not post it. And that is a very good measure of should I be sharing this information? Because again, once it's out there, it is really out there for life. So I have a few a few other thoughts sort of touching on what you asked earlier, Carly, which is young people are emulating adults when it comes to what they're posting, what they're creating, how they're dressing. There's been a huge, great movement of stripper culture being considered acceptable. And now a lot of our trends and our dance moves are coming from a combination of black culture and to be quite honest, sex worker and stripper culture. Wet Ass Pussy, WAP, that song just came out. And that is a highly sexual song. And now everyone is singing it. And there's some really great latex outfits in that music video. Everybody go watch it. But Aside from that, young people are looking at that and they go, that's what they are emulating. It's kind of hypocritical of us to say, oh, you shouldn't be sexual, but it's fine if these people do it because that's still being marketed to them. That's still what they're trying to become. Mm -hmm. So that's part of it too. We need to understand that young people are going to look at that and go, oh, is that who I want to be? Maybe, maybe it is. There's nothing necessarily wrong with it. I guess what I should say is I know parents are very concerned about that as well. And that's also why you need to have ongoing conversations about how do you portray yourself and what image do you want to present and do you care? People who are doing things like creating music videos like WAP, they're actively going against culture that says that as a woman, you should be a virgin forever or you're, you don't have any value. And I think that it's very revolutionary for them to be doing that. But they are also, once again, as you said, their brains are fully developed. These are legal adults making choices for themselves. And a 14-year-old choosing to call herself a hoe maybe doesn't understand the greater cultural context within which those women are reclaiming that term for themselves. Yeah. They don't know that it's coming from stripper culture and saying, you know what? Yes, I am a sexual being and that's okay. They're just like, oh, well, this is funny and we're calling it and boys can call us this too. And if you call yourself a hoe, who else gets to call you a hoe? Everyone. Those are not necessarily things that they're thinking when they start saying that. Great point. One other thing that I want to add is a 16-year-old may be able to have sex with an adult legally, socially, and morally. It is still unethical for an adult to have sex with someone under the age of 18. And to be honest, I think 18 itself is a highly fetishized number in terms of being barely legal because you're basically saying, I want to have sex with a teenager. Yes. When you're like, oh, I want someone who's barely legal. I want something 18. 18, 19, they are still teenagers. Right. And I have met people who are closer to 30 or 40 or 50. And they'll say to me, I don't see what's wrong with having sex with an 18 year old. And as someone who just worked with people who are 17, 18, they're at a different point in their lives than you are. And if you have that much in common with an 18 year old, I worry for your maturity. I have never judged a young person for being interested in someone older because of all of the things that come with that. The idea that there's maturity or status or job security, right? Those kinds of things. Daddy doms are a big trend right now. But if you are an adult and you are actively pursuing people who are barely legal, you should take a look at your motives. I couldn't agree more. And take a look at your messaging. And I mean, even just to think to when I was 20 to 22, to 24, to 26, the gaps in those small periods of time are so vast and so substantial, even though it may just be a couple years here or there, 
maturity does speak volumes and it's a time of growth in your 20s. So I agree, right? You know, got to check yourself there if, if you're pursuing people who are 5, 10, 15 years younger than you. Right. And I mean, there are lots of relationships that do have large age gaps and they do work out and they, they can be healthy. Yeah. I don't want to say that they're not, but I do want to make sure that you are recognizing if you are into this because you want to act as a supplement parent which is great. We always learn from our partners. If you are trying to be this person's guide and mold them into who you think they should be to be an acceptable person for you, that's toxic. Consider that. Think about it. But that's just a tangent. We can get back on topic now. Yeah, very, very good points. And I appreciate you sharing that. So I, I do have a, another question for you. So in previous episodes, we've talked about consent culture and, you know, with the Me Too movement that really exploded, uh, talking about consent in a much more explicit way, which was absolutely needed. We still have a lot of work to do, but it's a it's a step in the right direction. So I wonder what your thoughts are in terms of how consent culture and the age of consent sort of tied together, if at all? I think that because we now have a lot more conversations happening about consent culture, people are now having more questions around what it means to be able to consent at 16 or 18 or 20. And I think that consent culture can benefit everyone. We've talked about how consent can be as much as teaching your kid that they should ask for a hug and people should ask them for a hug. So the same thing with just the idea that you can legally consent at 16. Okay, what does that mean? It literally means that you can say, yes, this is what I want. We understand that you have the mental maturity to do this. I want to add that the legal age of consent in Canada used to be 14, uh, which is very young. So they, they increased it. They increased it by two years. And the reason that they wanted to increase it by two years was they were trying to prevent younger people from being sexually exploited, once again, theoretically by strangers, because it's a lot harder to prosecute someone for stat rape if they, that they could say, oh, well, she wanted it. He wanted it. It's a lot easier to groom someone or have that 14-year-old with an 18 or 19-year-old and not be able to identify if it was a healthy relationship or not. And there's not as much literally legal ability to make sure someone is not being exploited. And I'm not saying literally like a valley girl for once. I mean, literally, <laughs> not figuratively. One thing, though, that's very interesting about this is that young people being exploited, it's frequently coming from someone they know from someone in a position of authority over them. So it's not yet clear if this age increase is actually solving the original concern. But then that goes back to position of authority. So consent culture, explicit consent, right? Can you consent if this person is in a position of authority over you? That's, I think, where they sort of tie in and where the conversation, once again, gets complex and why it's good that we're having these more open conversations around it. So that's a perfect segue to what I want to ask you next. So, you know, in terms of helping educate kids so that they know that they're making good choices and, and putting themselves in in safe ways, what is the responsibility of a parent to their kid to make sure that when they express that they're they're interested in being sexually active or as a parent you think that maybe your kid is interested and knowing that the average age of first sexual experience can be as early as you know I think the average can be 16 and depending on where you're looking how can parents help prepare their kids for that next step I think it's having conversations about self-respect but not in a you don't have sex if you respect yourself but very much of how do you show respect to yourself and to others what are your boundaries? Teaching people to do a body scan and checking in with their feelings, right? Having those conversations with your kids where they're emotionally intelligent enough to maybe be able to identify what they're feeling or identify that they don't know what they're feeling. And that's okay too. And if you're in a situation where you don't know what you're feeling, you can pause. Another thing is to say to maybe teach your children what grooming looks like. 
so that they are aware of what it looks like. A lot of people don't talk about it with kids because they don't want to, same thing as last episode, they want them to not live in fear. They don't think it's appropriate to tell their kids. But I don't think there's anything wrong with teaching young people, this is what grooming looks like, and this is how you can look for it. And if an adult starts doing these things with you, then that's, you need to tell an adult or you need to not be around that person. And I, as your parent, will reinforce your choice to not be around that person. When I was 15 years old, actually, or maybe 16 years old, um, I was in a Dungeons and Dragons group with a man who was 30. And he was dating an 18-year-old in that group. And he invited me over to hang out with them with the explicit purpose of trying to have sex with me. And I was very uncomfortable. And I remember saying to him, oh my God, you're like almost double my age. And that was my way of handling it in the moment and trying to get this person to understand. Like that was my my passive no, because to be honest, I hadn't been taught how to give a hard no. I hadn't been taught how to check in with my feelings. You probably weren't expecting it. Uh, no. And that this man would make comments on my body when I was when I was carpooling him to Dungeons and Dragons because he didn't drive. Wow, that's so inappropriate. Just absolutely. This might be why I have feelings about adults trying to date 18 year olds. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. And luckily, I want to add, I just want to add for parents, happy ending. Um, he did not rape me. I was not assaulted that night. He did take my soft nose and accept them. Um, but I did say to that group of people, I am not comfortable being around this person. And if you continue to allow him in your, in your spaces, then I will not be there. And because they were all a bunch of young idiot teenagers, I went, okay, see you next time. But part of the reason that I think I was able to do that even later is because my parents had taught me you don't fuck 30-year-olds because that's gross. Thank you for saying that. And I did want to just say that, you know, I think it's a very dangerous assumption for parents to make that it will not happen to my kids. I, there's no way. They're smarter than that. I think that we often assume that, but I, I think that's a mistake. And I, I think it's very important to have very explicit conversations with your kids about what is appropriate and what is inappropriate. And there are some parents who will say, do not have sex before you're married. There will be parents who say, do not have sex until you're in a loving relationship with someone you trust and get tested. And that conversation will look different parent to parent. But what matters is that you are having conversations about what does inappropriate sexual behavior behavior look like and do not assume that your kid will not be in that position because right chances are they unfortunately will be in some sort of awkward or even harmful position at one point or another in their life so it is your responsibility to have those conversations and I want to add that my mom I think she knew something was up she suspected if she thought something was up she would sit me down and give me the whole if you need a ride at any point I don't care what time it is I will pick you up like she knew something was off with this person or just a scenario I had like quasi lied to her a little bit about what was going on because I mean I knew better than to tell my mom the truth about that she wouldn't have let me go but even then my mom was also trusting me to be able to stand up for myself in that moment which I did even if it was in a non-obvious way and to create those boundaries for myself which was great obviously I remember it because it was an opportunity where I was able to stand up for myself and find my own empowerment in that moment and defend myself from an older predatory person because as parents you're not always going to be there no and I think age of consent in the conversation around it really comes down to I want to prevent this child or this teenager from being exploited by someone who should know better. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so by right, raising the age of consent or having an age of consent, it gives us legal parameters with which to make sure that young people are not being exploited. This is not about telling teenagers that they shouldn't be sexually active because of any moral reasons. It is very much about trying to protect young people from adults who will 
harm them in different ways. Absolutely. And I, I think we are making an assumption here that every parent would be comfortable having conversations with their kids about how to be safe and what signs to look for. But I don't think we can assume that. So what do you suggest for a parent who may not be as comfortable having these conversations with their kid? What can they do? Well, my mother just locked me in the car and drove me around and made me have them with her. So maybe I'm the wrong person because I did not have an uncomfortable parent. But what I would suggest is, as we've said before, you can start with a book. You can start with when you're watching TV with your kids or watching a YouTube video or listening to a podcast. When you hear something that to you as an adult, you go, "Mm, I'm not sure, have a conversation around it. I honestly think that when it comes to exploitation, there is a time to sit your child down and say, I think it is important that we have this conversation because I care about you and I care about your safety and I want you to be safe. So I want to introduce you to this topic and you might know this already, but I want to make sure you know it because it's important to me because I love you. And that's how you can frame it. And you can go into things like the legal age of consent is 16 and this is what it means. You should not be sending images of yourself on the internet to people if you care about where they're going to end up. This is the kind of thing that you can sit your kid down to have those conversations because it is important to you. Safety is important. Your kid's safety is important. Absolutely. There's nothing wrong with that. It doesn't always have to be casual and ongoing. It can also be explicit and time relevant. Exactly. And I think that as a parent, you need to ask yourself, what's more important? My comfort and making sure I'm comfortable and not having awkward conversations or my kid's safety. And it it's a matter of pushing through that discomfort and knowing that your kids probably go like, oh, mom, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about it with you. You got to push through because you need to have these conversations. And if you're really uncomfortable about initiating that conversation, my experience is that discomfort comes from not knowing. And if you as a parent do not have the language, you do not have the tools to start this conversation, go online, look at Planned Parenthood, go to kids' help phone. There's going to be lots of information on how to have these conversations with your kid. On my website, I have some links to other resources as well for parents on how to have these conversations and also for teachers. Teachers are in a very unique position of authority and a lot of the time, kids feel more comfortable going to their teacher who may not appear to be as judgmental than their parents. Because let's be honest, our parents are super judgmental. My mom, who's a very open-minded person, my dad, also very open-minded person, they still judge me. I'm still their kid. That's just part of being a parent. So there's something about going to your teacher and, and sort of feeling that that's a safer place to go when you're in a situation. And so teachers also need to be prepared for those conversations. And again, educate yourself, read up on what you need. Should I do the commercial break thing, Ray? What do you want to do? Well, I feel like now that you said it that way, this is what's going to make it into the final cut. So I believe it's time for a commercial break. (laughs) We are looking for sponsors. If you are interested in sponsoring Sex News with Ray, please send us a DM on Instagram at sexnewswithray or email us at sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Okay, so Carly, this week we actually have two questions, one from a parent and one from a teen. I really want to make it clear that I pulled this question from a teen because I want our listeners who are parents and adults to understand that young people are very interested in sex and they may be interested in things you don't feel like they should be ready to be interested in. And this is a question that I personally received through my Instagram DMs from a young person who found me on their own and was like, oh, can I ask you a sex question? I was like, it's kind of what I do. So sure. (laughs) Okay, this is literally, you're going to hear that this is a teen. Ready? You know how 16 is the legal age of consent? When I turned 16 in a few months and a woman over 18 wanted to do dominating things with me, 
would that be all right? Like if I hired a dominatrix, would she consider doing stuff with me? I feel like I need something more and I feel quite ready if you know what I mean. Okay, so what do you think, Ray? Okay, I have, I mean, there's a, there's a few questions within the question. So yes, I do know that 16 is a legal age of consent. Thank you for asking. So if he turns 16 in a few months and a woman over 18 wants to do dominating things with him, for him, that would be all right, I think, from what I can gather from the legal parameters, right? Yeah, assuming they're not in a, a position of authority over this person, right? Right. In this case, it sounds like he wants to hire someone to be in a position of authority over him, if you know what I mean. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. So so here's the thing. And here's the next thing. If he hired a dominatrix, would she consider doing stuff with me? There's a few things we need to add in here, which is um, hiring a sex worker is actually not legal. So that's one factor you have to be aware of. And that's a whole other conversation that I'm not going to get into here. But in our in Ontario, if you hire a sex worker, that is a crime. A sex worker can do sex work, but you cannot hire them. Would a dominatrix consider doing stuff with me? They would not because a sex worker is already on the fringe of society in terms of like it's so close to what is legal, what isn't legal. And they have to do everything they can to stay on the good side of legal as much as possible. So someone who is under 18 is not someone that they would probably choose to have sex with or do, or dominate someone who is under 18 because of that legal adult number. Your parents still have to sign your consent form for school before you're 18. Is there the five-year gap? Yeah. Could they do it? Yeah. But this goes back to the idea that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's socially or morally okay. And an adult would probably not feel socially or morally okay dominating someone who is 16. Then the last part of that is I feel like I need something more and I feel quite ready if you know what I mean. I do know what you mean and I feel for you. Find a nice girl in school who will tie you up with a bed sheet, right? Like you can start experimenting by yourself. Experiment with people your age. There are girls out there who are interested in being dominant and they have so many people telling them that that's not how they should feel that they're ignoring that. Or find yourself a girlfriend who would be fine with it. I think that there might be a bit more judgment, right? It'll be harder to open up and have that conversation. But if you're not comfortable telling your new girlfriend what you want her to do to you in bed, then maybe you're not ready. Yeah, and I mean, look, consent is crucial in any sort of interaction. In my opinion, when you're introducing kink in the equation, you have to take extra caution, especially if the activities you're engaging in could be perceived as violent. Um, and there are kinks out there that are quite violent, but as long as it's consensual and you're, you have your safe word and you talk ahead of time about, you know, what you envision and what you like, there's, there's so much conversation that needs to happen. And again, you know, in my opinion, I think that it's very rare to find a 16 year old who has the vocabulary and the experience to articulate how to engage in that in a way that feels safe to them. So that's also just something to consider in my opinion. I'm not saying that it's impossible, but I do think it requires a lot of research for that 16 year old on how to engage in kink play or domination in a way that is safe for both people involved. That's also a very good point. That's also a topic not covered in sex ed because kink and fetishes would be under pleasure and I mean, we just talked about pleasure. I feel like whether or not we should talk about kinks and sex ed is a whole other topic that's so uncomfortable for so many people. We really don't give young people the tools to have those conversations. They have to learn from porn or from the internet. And I, I know for a fact that young people are experimenting with kink play and they do not have accurate information. And if the legal age of consent is 16, but you have to be 18 in order to go to a sex store and be allowed in, 
that's the same thing. Like, why is it that the age of consent is 16, but you have to be 18 to go buy a dildo or to go get health information? I didn't realize you had to be 18 to go into a sex store. A lot of them, yeah. There's Amazon. That's that's the way you uh, bypass that. Well, there there is Amazon unless, you know, your credit card is connected to your parents and it's going to get shipped to your place. What is a rabbit? What is this crystal thing you purchased? I don't know why I just went British there. I have no <laughs> idea. It just came out that way. That's my parent voice, apparently. Uh, yeah, you all of a sudden turned into a bad imitation of a Harry Potter character. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> that was really good. But yeah, but I, I think I, I really feel for this guy, okay? I just, I understand his struggle. The struggle is real. I feel you. I've been there. I get it. You have to be patient. You will be okay one day. I promise. Yeah. Honestly, like it seems also when you're at that age, everything feels so urgent. I mean, I'm a very impatient person. So things still feel very urgent to me. And I always want things to happen faster than they go. And and I, I really do feel like, yes, I get it. You want it to happen now. Take this time to learn how to do things safely so that when you're with a partner, you can experiment safely. Good things come to those who wait. Yeah, and there's a lot of really great free kink resources online that I cannot mention off the top of my head. But if I find any, we'll put them in the show notes. And if not, we'll just record a whole podcast where I yell kink kink things at people. Sounds great. Okay, Cartley, are you ready for the next question? I sure am. What are some ways to protect young girls in the age of social media? How to protect young girls in the age of social media? Why not boys? Why is it just girls? I think this is coming from someone with only daughters. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. So, okay, so let's focus on girls for now then. Um, so how to protect girls. Again, I think it all goes back to what we've been talking about this whole episode is just teaching kids that when you're old enough to make your own decisions and you want to go and share whatever you want to share, fine, but this is what you need to know. You need to know that images, once they're online, even on Snapchat, you think it disappears in 10 seconds. No way. People can take screenshots. It gets saved on a database on Snapchat server. Nothing is impermanent. Everything exists forever. And I think that, again, you don't want to scare them too much, but you do want to say like, look, if you're going to make these choices, these are the consequences you need to be aware of. And with any decision we make in life, there are consequences and you shouldn't sugarcoat that. You should really explain to them that this is what you need to be aware of. And even still, they can make really good decisions and be safe, but people out there are not as safe and you can't control other people's behavior. And I think that's what it comes down to. We make choices sometimes that maybe aren't the best choices, but it's really how other people engage in that content and what they do with that content. I think to give some very like actual tangible things also to keep in mind, if your kids want social media accounts, tell them that they're, they have to be set to private, right? Have those conversations about letting them be normal kids, but it must be private. Teach them about stranger danger and safety, like internet safety. So, you know, would you talk to this person if they were in public? Then don't add them to your Instagram. Don't let them follow you. You can follow who you want, but don't let them follow you. Um, tagging, right? You can be very clear if your friends tag you in a photo that you don't want to be tagged in photos. Keep your location off. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that their location isn't on on their phones. Um, so that's more protecting them from other people finding them or seeing them or reaching out to them. Can I ask, what are your thoughts, Ray, on, you know, parents forcing their kids to add them as friends? on their social media platforms. What do you think about that? I mean, like, if you can't trust your kid on social media, can you trust your kid at all? I mean, I get that. But I I mean, as someone who's always had her mother on social media, and I think my mom doesn't want to be on my social media anymore, to be quite honest. But I don't think there's anything wrong with it. But I do think that if you over monitor your children, you will drive them away and send them to therapy. Yes. 
And also, if you follow them on social media, your kid will end up with a fake account that you're not on, where they post the actual things that they want to do. Instagram, that's something I've heard about recently. Yeah, kids do have fake Instagrams where they either post their ugly photos or they just, they post things that they don't want their parents to see and they lie. So, I mean, let your kid explore their own boundaries. Hope that you've trusted them to have good ones. Let them experiment a little. But I would say private accounts. You can say you can have social media, but it must be set to private. You cannot tag your location. You cannot do this because I'm very aware of internet safety and stranger danger, and I want you to be too. Things like that, right? I want you to be protected. Don't talk to strangers. Simple as that. And then the other thing is you cannot necessarily protect your kids from seeing things that they don't want to see, right? Like the first time I think I saw porn, I found it. We had parental blocks on the internet then. I found it anyway by accident. I was looking up something Star Wars related. That's a story for another day. I wanted to make my dad a birthday card and I had to get a reference photo and I found some excellent Qui-Gon Jinn, Obi-Wan Kenobi imagery. That's all I'm going to say. And I think I was like seven or eight. So, yeah. So you can't... Lightsaber fun. Oh my God, yes. So, wish I could still find those pictures now that I'm an adult, but good quality art. Tangent. But the idea being that I was young and we had parental blocks and my dad was an IT person who could block lots of stuff, but they still couldn't always block everything. So, teaching your kids, if you see something that makes you uncomfortable, you don't have to look. If you see something that you are curious about and you have questions, you can feel free to ask me. You can feel free to ask Auntie Ray. You can feel free to talk to Auntie Carly. Give them a list of adults that they can talk to when they are seeing something that makes them uncomfortable that you can trust because they might not be comfortable bringing it to you. Someone who you can trust to handle it and not necessarily tell you. Someone who will keep your kid's secrets unless they're in danger. So that's another thing. Like you really can't keep your kid from seeing that. But that being said, make sure you have parental blocks on your internet. Make sure that you've got that clearly figured out. There are going to be some words that come up as like strange terms that you're not even going to know, like truffle butter. Like you wouldn't even know to block that. But do your best. And then if they see something, that's fine. Your kid might want to try and find it again. You catch your kid looking at things that are not appropriate for their age. Then you sit them down and have the conversation about this is not healthy for you to be looking at at this age. And here's why. And here's how brain development works. And I understand that you're curious, but this is not healthy for you to be looking at right now, because this is not an accurate representation of sex or relationship or connection or pleasure or, right? Like you can say, I'm worried that you're getting the wrong idea about what this looks like. And then that goes into your ongoing conversations. Um, And I think that the things that I'm saying are for girls or boys. I was just going to say, I I think that this applies to all genders. It's not just for girls. It's really for anybody. And I think that, again, there's this assumption that girls are the victim and boys are the perpetrators. And, you know, sure, there are some stats to suggest that that women are are subject to more exploitation than, than boys. But that's not to say that can happen to a boy. So it's also important for, for all kids to understand how to use social media responsibly. And I, I love what you said, Ray, about parents really having to put trust in their kids. And if you were sending your kids the message that you don't trust them, then guess what? They're going to give you reason to not trust them. They're going to push the boundaries. They're going to go behind your back. And this is no different from, you know, even experimenting with drugs. My parents, I remember when I was in junior high, coming to them and saying like, I know my friends that are starting to experiment. And they said, look, like if you're interested, we'd rather you do it in the safety of our own home than you doing it on the street with friends that you may not know so well. So same thing with being sexual. Your kids are interested in exploring things, 
rather than come to you to ask questions and be safe, then try to go behind your back and sneak and do those things. I also want to add that this also ties into consent. So in terms of uh, sharing images on the internet, like sending nude photos or asking for nude photos, if your child is uncomfortable sending a nude and someone asks them and they say no, and that person pushes, that's when all those different conversations about consent come in. You said no, this person ignored you. This person is not worth your time. And I say that because girls also ask for nudes. Yeah. So if someone is pushing for something you're not comfortable giving, then that's not listening to your no. That's not listening to consent. And if your child is at that next level, then hopefully they're empowered enough to go, you're ignoring my consent and you clearly need to learn. And here's a resource. But not all of our kids are mini sex educators. So we can only we can only aspire. Yeah. But also don't assume that your child might not want to one day send something. And that's when all these conversations become important. And also respecting that someone might not want to receive what they are providing. <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> right. I, I think we just finished our last episode of the first season. I think we did too. Carly, thank you so much for joining me for the past six episodes. I feel like we scratched the surface. I know. And this has been, I know it's so cliche, but it's been such a dream. Ray and I have talked about creating a podcast for such a long time and I hope you enjoyed this as much as we do. I love talking to Ray about all things but especially about sex because Ray's in the world of sexual health education and latex wear which just naturally is a little bit on the kinkier side and with me I just I love talking about sexual health education and uh, it's been such a joy and I really hope people have learned from from our banter which sometimes is random banter too. I think the random is fun. Carly, would you come back on my podcast one day? Of course, I'd love to. Anytime. I'm sure there's so many more sexual health and education topics we could cover. If anyone has a topic they do want to hear us cover, feel free to email us. Carly, where can people contact you if they want to hire you as a sex ed consultant or find your resources or just follow you as a person because you're so great? Oh, thank you. You can find me on mysexed.ca and you can also find all my social media handles there as well. Perfect. You can follow the podcast at Sex News with Ray on Facebook and Instagram. And once again, that's how you can contact us if there's any content you want to hear or you have a question. You can also submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast. You can email a voice memo to sexnewswithray at gmail.com. You can follow me personally at wifebayray on Instagram and TikTok and Razor Latex on Instagram, OnlyFans and Patreon. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant, and a special thank you to Blue Microphones.